Hey there, and welcome back to The Mason Jar here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to be bringing you an interview that Cindy Rollins did with Jennifer Pepito of The Peaceful Press, which you can find at thepeacefulpreschool.com. Get you right over to that. But first, I got to bring you a quick word from our friends over at The Homegrown Preschooler. They are dedicated to providing books, curriculum, and educational tools for young learners. Did you know that the latest brain research continues to confirm that beginning with a hands-on approach enables children to progress easily to more complex subject matter? So they, homegrown preschooler, give you the tools to ensure that your child has a rich and enjoyable childhood while growing in knowledge and character. Their curriculum, A Year of Playing Skillfully, provides everything you need to offer your young learner a complete early childhood education. Your child will be invited to discover and experience on a daily basis, delivering the necessary foundation for lifelong learning. This pre-planned, wonder-based curriculum offers parents the opportunity to relax and enjoy those precious first years without compromising the quality of education your child will receive. If you'd like to learn more about The Homegrown Preschooler or about their program, A Year of Playing Skillfully, you can head over to thehomegrownpreschooler.com. And again, that's thehomegrownpreschooler.com. All right, now let's get you over to Cindy's conversation with Jennifer Pepito of The Peaceful Press. Welcome to the Mason Jar. We are here today with my friend Jennifer Pepito. She is the um, she's a mother of seven children. She has some that have already graduated. Her her oldest daughter is in law school right now, so that's pretty exciting. And then um, she has uh, her son is in business school, and, but she's still in the trenches. She still has other children at home, and she's. Uh, you can find Jennifer at thepeacefulpress.com on the internet, and you can find her on Instagram at Jennifer Pepito. Uh, we'll have all that information in the show, show notes if you um, if you are if you have trouble finding them. But otherwise, it should be pretty straightforward. So, welcome to the Mason Mason Jar, Jennifer. Thanks. Thank you, Cindy. It's such an honor to be here. I'm so excited. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I, I enjoyed talking with you on your podcast, and you podcast for Wild and Free. Is that correct? Or do yes, you- I, I think I've done it for about three years now. I've been the podcast host, and some of them are on iTunes. And I think she'll start putting them on there again, but they're mostly for subscribers. Okay, so you have a subscribe. They have Wild and Free has a subscriber community. And, um, and then you also have your own um, peaceful press, which, um, which you do all sorts of things on the peaceful press. So. Yes, mostly Charlotte Mason-ish homeschool resources. So we start with preschool and I have an elementary, a few elementary resources that are based around literature and art and connection. Oh, wow. Well, those are three very interesting uh, angles to go at, uh, literature, art, and connection. When you say connection, wh- how do, how do, what does that mean as far as your curriculum goes? Well, I think that sometimes parents get so overwhelmed and nervous about homeschooling their younger kids, and then they focus on comparison and competition and trying to keep their kids up with the, what the public schools are doing, instead of really taking, the, taking advantage of these early years to read together and talk and cuddle and really build relationship, build a community, you know, build a tribe in a sense around their family. And, and then all the rest of homeschooling as you get into the harder subjects is going to be easier if you've built connection, if you've built those family bonds that will help your children want to keep going with the things that you find important. 
Wow, that is, honestly, that is extremely profound. <laughs> In this culture, uh, that is a wonderful way to look at it because right out of the starting gate, um, we are tempted to just forsake everything for that this mad competition, really. And, and, and we lose so much by doing that, that um, and things we can never regain. So you build a, uh, you start with the peaceful preschooler and um and then and then you have after that the the pioneer the yes i have the the playful pioneers is based on the little house on the prairie books and so you read through the books and there's projects that go along with it and art and copy work so i try i I think there's a lot of really amazing charlotte mason curriculum out there but i got overwhelmed trying to pull things together or or kind of trying to interpret different lists that I would find. And I kind of threw up my hands and just started reading my own books and doing projects and doing timeline and doing geography and looking at some art. And I pulled that together into a really simple curriculum for younger families that kind of lays it out step by step and makes it approachable. And and also does it, you know, highlights the importance of connecting. Wow. That, um, so you did, so you come at all this from a Charlotte Mason perspective because we are the Mason jar and I like how you come at Charlotte Mason kind of in a, with a spirit of freedom. You aren't, um, you're, you're coming at Charlotte Mason and you're going to use her ideas, but you're working them out in your own way. Right. And, and I think, you know, one of the talks that I give is uh, it's a, called a divine education with Charlotte Mason. I, I feel like when you read a lot of her original writings, there's a big emphasis on on our spiritual development. And I think that sometimes as Charlotte Mason educators, we we get so into developing the literature or really giving them like not a feast, but uh, a gorge of information. Do you know what I mean? We can overdo the information and underemphasize. Okay, is there love in the home? Are we are we enjoying each other? Are we excited about learning together? Or or is this like ending up being this chore that we we push all this stuff down our children's throats? Even though Charlotte Mason's supposed to be about laying this beautiful feast. Wow, I love that gorging. Um, that is exactly what is happening so often. And and moms, I think it's sort of a panic situation where you're terrified they're, that they're that you're not you're going to miss something. Which of course you are because we live in a society where, where knowledge is everywhere, and there's no way we're all going to learn it all anyway. <laughs> so right. um, there's going to be holes somewhere. And and I, it's been interesting for me homeschooling for a long like I've homeschooled over twenty years. And I started out, you know, I started homeschooling when my daughter was three and I was at a Charlotte Mason book club group for the Karen Angiola Charlotte Mason companion right around, you know, my daughter was probably in kindergarten. So I've been studying Charlotte Mason for a long time, but honestly, I have seven kids. We lived as missionaries for four years. There were a lot of years where my children did not get great schooling. You know, we read, we've always read a lot and we've always kept television and media to a minimum, but we, there's been some really bad years of school. And yet my daughter's a law student, my son's an honor student at his business school. So somehow, because we've read a lot and we've emphasized talking and togetherness, my children have had this like 
in a way, lighter or more literature-based and less competition-based schooling in the early years. But then as soon as they got to college and they, they've all started community college classes around 14 or 15, they've done just fine. That, I think that is so. That has got to be very, very helpful to to the people listening today because uh, we don't we don't. One of the things I don't like to do, and I'm always saying this, is we don't trot our children out as our products. But when moms are watching, they're trying, and and you're saying you can have a peaceful time with your with your elementary school students and your preschool students. You don't have to be on this in this rat race, um, everybody's like, but what will happen? What will happen? And when you can say, well, you know, if your children love to learn and, and they're curious when they go on to college, that will just continue and, 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 and they'll, they'll thrive in those places. Um, right. Exactly. That's been my experience to my surprise. So I really don't get panicked anymore about how much school we're doing. I probably school these younger ones more than the older ones did because, because I don't have a baby to take care of at the same time, but there's no panic in it. We're just enjoying learning. And I know that it's going to result in kids who love to learn. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Um, so your daughter, so you so you're, you're saying you had some pretty, I, I found that too. I had some good years of homeschooling, but then there would be bad years when I, maybe I was sick and pregnant and, um, you know, that, that it would seem, and I always thought that maybe one good year made up for uh, two bad years. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons I loved your book so much is that it was, you know, you were on the other side of it. And it's just so encouraging to know that, oh yeah, other people have had hard years and kept going. And, and that was our story. I mean, we, we lived out in the country for a while and we had this perfect Charlotte Mason life that we created with lots of nature study and art on the walls of the schoolroom. And it's just a beautiful life. And then my husband wanted us to go and do mission work in Mexico. So we were gone for four years and we moved like six times in those four years, we built an off-grid house. I had an emergency C-section. It was just a really difficult year wow. in, in somewhat of a difficult culture as far as, you know, the, as far as relating it to Charlotte Mason, because we were right near the border. So we'd gone from living on this beautiful acreage to almost living in the middle of a junkyard because out in the country near the border, there's not a trash service. So a lot of junk just kind of gets dumped on the side of the road. So, you know, we had some really sweet friends down there and we were not too far from the ocean. So we had some nature study there, but going from a small country life that was very quiet and nature based to living near a big city in a foreign land was quite a big adjustment for me. I can imagine. And, and, and really that's why these principles have to be things that that can take place even when we're not in the ideal circumstances. We, we have to be able to adapt in life or else we're not, we're not going to make it. If, if you had stuck to, I have to do everything the right way while you were in these incredibly difficult circumstances, you, you probably wouldn't, you know, have made it. (laughs) Um, You probably would have lost your mind maybe. Right. And I came close to doing that, but, but I think that honestly, part of that was my lack of flexibility. I think I was such an idealist that instead of taking advantage of the opportunities that were there, because we got to do a cross country trip while we were uh, like, we traveled by RV cross country while we were missionaries. So there was a lot of amazing discovery there. Most of the time, my children were having a great time. It was really my own attitude and my kind of discontentment about our circumstance that made things so hard which is a big part 
in a way of my resources that I put out now too, is just learning to be thankful, learning to forgive yourself when things don't go right. Because I think that often we sabotage our own efforts by like making a mistake and then feeling bad about it or, Mm -hmm. or doing, you know, doing a bad job or having to live through a less than perfect circumstance and then bemoaning that fact and getting all in our heads, being unthankful instead of just being joyful and finding the, the light and the joy in each circumstance that we're in. And that, that is one of the things I find discouraging about um, it, uh, some of the emphasis in the Charlotte Mason community, because then it, people just give up and quit. Either they quit homeschooling or they quit using Charlotte Mason's ideas because they've made it into this really difficult ideal to live up to. And um, and then they can't live up to it. And then instead of seeing, oh, I just need to lower my expectations, they, they quit altogether. And that's really sad. <laughs> Right, which is one of the like the da- the ups and downs even of social media. I have a lot of friends on Instagram. And I really love that resource for learning. I've learned a lot more about nature study and seeing examples and things like that than I had before. Mm-hmm. I found Instagram, but on the other hand, when people scoot all the mess out of the way to take a perfect flat lay of their picture while their children are, you know, flooding the toilet or whatever, (laughs) it can look like life is perfect when really the same stuff is happening in every home. I mean, everybody has toddlers who cry or tantrum. Everybody has the same struggles of self-doubt. Everyone is trying to get all the laundry done while homeschooling their children. And so the same struggles are happening in every home, but, but we can look at these pictures and think, oh, their life is perfect and I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to send my kids to school. Yeah, I think I felt, I, I, even I as an old, you know, veteran of some of this stuff, when I first got on Instagram, I would just get like a pit in my stomach because it was like, oh, it's too late. Look what these people do. And I can't do that. And it really made me feel terrible. But now I've adjusted my own attitude and I, and I, and I've taken that all that into consideration. Now I'm able to get back on Instagram. <laughs> and uh and partake of it in a way knowing that uh there is no ideal place like like that um that's created right and and I'm I'm really thankful too for the lack of media that I had it was hard enough as a young mom with all the insecurities that I was already dealing with to be to be focused because I really I've always loved homeschooling I've always loved being a mom and I've wanted to do the very best I could at it. And so it was hard enough in those times where I felt like a failure when I didn't have media to confirm that. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So so I, you know, I I think think that that's a very good, yeah, sometimes for moms, it's probably a relief to be able to take a break or just recognize the fact that if somebody's posting a great picture, it means that they sacrifice something else. And, and so I'm happy that I have the opportunity to, to post on Instagram and to develop community through it. It's a beautiful gift, but we just have to realize that nobody's life is perfect. And so, and, and the really, what I wouldn't want families to do is miss looking their children in the eyes or miss connecting. Like I see sometimes my kids do something cute or funny and I, I kind of instantly want to do a story. And then I think, wow, I mean, that would totally steal the joy of that, of this moment by kind of voyeuring what they're doing. I don't know if that's a word, but you know, instead of just enjoying them, (laughs) instead of just enjoying them, all of a sudden having to turn everything cute they do into a, a show. 
Yeah, I've wondered about that, the effect of that on the children, because it, I, I think they say, what is that, that whole scientific principle that everything changes when there's an audience? Um, if it, the minute an audience is introduced, um, the whole reality of what's going on actually takes on a whole different meaning. So we have children now who are growing up with constantly an audience, um, constantly having an audience to watch them. And it, it can affect their cuteness, I think. It, it, can, it can make them maybe more self-aware, a little less... Um, I don't know. Just natural. <laughs> innocent. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. So yeah, that's, that is a concern. Some of my best days lately have been when I just put the phone away and really, really kind of sink into or just relax into being with my kids. It's like, they're so interesting. And what we're learning, I love reading the books with my kids. And as you know, right now, since I don't have babies, I'm able to sit and draw the maps with them or do the nature journaling with them. And I'm enjoying myself. And then they're feeling enjoyed because I'm in there with them instead of just giving them direction, taking a picture of what they did, moving on. Right, right. I think that's a... I think that's one of the, I'm really, sorry, I'm stuttering here, but I've been writing a book about mother mothers educating themselves. And one of our best resources for doing that is just to, to learn along with our children and participate with them. So we don't have to necessarily be taking the pictures. We can be participating in the activities that they're doing and, and just letting it be what it is. Um, you said that is something interesting about your younger kids are getting more academic work maybe because you have more time and there's not as many interruptions, but you're, I always was unsure whether my younger children really did get a better education than my older children, um, who, who were, you know, just basically reading a lot with no distractions. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that my middle kids probably got the worst education and yet they still, you know, I can think of two of them in particular where I had an oldest daughter who I put some effort into initially. And then my second daughter had a lot of learning disabilities. So we worked for a long time to get her reading and now she's an avid reader, but that took a lot of energy away from the next several children. And then we started moving and doing this mission work. So my middle children really didn't get a splendid education, especially the, the one who's 20 now. But he's still, I think that the work ethic and the time with parents and the emphasis on literature have, have helped him, groomed him in such a way that he is, he's an honors student. He gets the top grades in his classes in his, um, he's in a business in his junior year, I guess, of college as a business major. So I think that it's not as hard as we think it is. You know, I think that we have to be careful how much time we're wasting and how many distractions we have. And in my opinion, limit media somewhat because it's just always easier to watch a show or a movie than it is to read a book. And we're mm -hmm. not going to get the vocabulary we need to get good test scores or to write wonderful papers if we haven't read. Right. But other than that, I just don't think that educating our children sometimes is as hard as we think it is, especially if we're people who love to learn and talk about what we're learning. Yeah. And then this goes back to mother's education. So you came up, this, your daughter came up and she was struggling and you did what so many mothers do. You threw yourself into finding out how you could help your daughter. So can you talk a little bit about that? How, how did that happen? 
Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we started out as new parents and we took this little parenting class that was super focused on behavior. And so I was getting really frustrated because I'm trying to give this second child directions and she's not understanding and she's kind of looking at me with a blank stare. And, and so at first I was just like, Oh, great. I have a child who won't fit the mold. Who's not obeying whatever. And then I started to realize that she was dealing with some issues. And, and I, at the, at the time, there wasn't a lot said about processing disorders. So it was kind of like you either had, I mean, they were just starting maybe more to talk about autism. She was born in 95. Right. And so it was a real struggle. I mean, I checked out every book I could find. I just kept searching and searching because she wasn't um, profoundly disabled, but she was really struggling across the board in school. And mm. so we we did we did some occupational therapy and some speech therapy, but I would sit in on the speech therapy lessons and then take that home and work with her. Or we started doing a neurodevelopmental program where she would go every three months and then I would take home what I learned and work with her on that. And, and a lot of that actually went into the peaceful preschool because what I started to learn is that the underlying development is so important for academic success. And if you try to rush writing and reading mm. and your child doesn't have strong auditory skills, like for instance, if I give you a series of numbers, four, six, five, nine, eight, and you can't repeat them back to me, it might mean your auditory memory isn't developed enough to put together a five-letter word. Because when we're reading with phonics, we have to be able to start sounding out a word and get to the end and remember what was at the beginning. Ah, yes. But if you have a child with processing difficulties, whether it's visual or auditory, they're not going to be able to remember what they were sounding out. So, so really that underlying, you know, playing memory games with your child and making sure that sensory issues are taken care of, like giving your child back rubs, playing, playing with swings, going down slides, all of that body movement that's important for young children has to be in place if you want academics to work. And I think especially now when parents are probably overusing television in the early years, children just aren't getting the sensory play they need to develop good academic skills. They're not playing with Play-Doh enough. They're not painting enough. They're not getting their hands dirty, walking barefoot, just kind of rolling in the mud, so to speak. It's the sensory input that's needed for academic development to work. Now, does this come in, is this where you, so you started studying this, these learning difficulties, but you at your talk, you did a talk at the Wild and Free Conference, and you talked about a lot of research on play, and, and this, there's a lot of overlap then there, it, was, it sounds like. Yeah, there is, and I, I wouldn't have even made the connection, you just made that connection right now, because for me, play is often something I let my kids do, and I feel kind of torn, like, oh, I guess I'll let them finish their game, because they're having so much fun, but maybe they're just wasting time and we should go yeah. do some coffee work. You know what I mean? So I would, you know, I did the play talk partly to, to kind of reassure myself and my children have always had afternoons to play, especially because we've made watching TV a low priority. Mm -hmm. So they would go outside and get that sensory development. But with my second daughter, because she did have a lot of processing issues, she was very fearful of like a playground or, you know, she would kind of avoid some of the stimulation that she probably needed to develop. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, in the peaceful preschool, I did incorporate a lot of the large and fine motor skills necessary for academic development. Basically, those underlying skills that have to be 
set in in order for things like reading and writing to work? Wow. So, um, so you actually threw yourself into learning this. And so now some of the stuff you put out is just based on what you learned and how you applied it in your own family and, and for your own daughter. I love, I, I just love stuff like that because it just shows us that as we grow as people, you know, God uses, um, that, those things to, to help other people. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I love that I've gotten to homeschool. Like I was telling somebody the other day, I've been able to, I, I love what you said about the leisure classes, because it's like, I, I get to read so much. Mm-hmm. I get to learn to paint. I get to meet interesting people. And my life is so rich. Like I can't imagine. And I, and I applaud women who are doing what they have to do to help their families. But I'm really, really thankful that I've had the freedom to pursue interest to learn and memorize poetry with my children and memorize the Bible with my children and sing with my children and, and paint with them and read out loud. It's been a very rich life. Thanks to my wonderful husband. Yes, yes. And that is something we probably fail to thank enough, thank them enough, because many of us are one income families. I mean, some of us bring in extra money here and there. Um, Some families, mom is homeschooling and working. I mean, I have that but many husbands are are really sacrificing so that their wives can teach their children at home and um that's a wonderful thing and do you think that you can homeschool without thinking of you know the one income families um there's a lot of temptation always to buy a bunch of stuff is is it possible to homeschool without a lot of ex you know, curriculum, like, yeah, absolutely. I actually have a course it's on course craft right now called bountiful homeschooling on a budget because most of my life I had no money for curriculum. We, we were missionaries. We, and we've always had a very strong commitment to staying out of debt. So like for a while, my husband owned a business, but at that time we put our money towards paying off our house and I mostly would, um, borrow curriculum or I would, find less expensive resources, or I would use library books, or I would maybe barter or trade things like that, which is one of the reasons I keep the peaceful press resources price low is because we we didn't have a lot of money. And we just used what we had we and I think sometimes we can overbuy or or even join a charter school to get the funds and then end up buying way more stuff than we need and make our lives more complicated as we try to fit in all the stuff we've bought. Mm-hmm. There, there can be too much of a good thing. Yes, yes. Um, what do you think about, you know, I, I, I think we touched on it a little bit, but maybe we could go back a little bit because um, what, what, what happens to, say, you'd have a young first, second grader, and you spend a lot of time with that child making him learn the things that you think he might need to learn in school, like writing, handwriting, uh, you know, writing his name, writing, uh, uh, learning facts, learning these, and not as much time on stories. And is that a learn? Is that hindering that child to to concentrate too much on those those kind of academic subjects at a young age? I think so, because, you know, it it was interesting, Abraham, I quoted Abraham Maslow and Carl Jung, and they talk about how all innovation comes from play, comes from imagination. There's a lot of research that says that new things that are developed don't come from 
intellect, they come from imagination, creativity, and play. And if we don't, if we emphasize a lot of facts, but don't help develop our children's imagination, their, their moral imagination, their creative imagination through stories and play and through um, even time spent with God, time spent in the word, time spent worshiping. If we don't develop that, our children will know a lot of facts, but what will they be able to do? That A facts-based education is preparation for assembly lines. Mm. You know, if we want our children, and, and, there, and there's a need for that. Like, so it's great that there are different types of homeschoolers and different kinds of homeschooling. But if we underdevelop our children's imagination, and we overdevelop their intellect, what we, what we end up with is kids who can't innovate, who can't mm. think outside the box. Wow. Um, that makes me think of like, um, like if you have a software developer and they, they're really good at the computer and stuff, but they don't have anything to input into it. They only, um, the people that I, I from the research I've done and, and the things, the stories I've heard really more than research are that the people who are exploding in the, in the software um, development and computer programming are the people who actually have something inside of them to place into this these computers and these these this software rather than people who just know how to make the software or make the um computer right and i've heard that about movie making too that the key to being a good movie maker is story and it's just interesting because i think that we as moms as families really have to be essentialist in a way i love that book by greg McEwen, essentialism because there's so many things that we could do and i think that we can get kind of distract we're like the you know like get we get distracted there are so many opportunities as homeschoolers Mm -hmm. now and so it's really important to figure out okay what is our family about what is the vision that god's placed on our heart what are the things that we love to do like if you look at the hunt family who played at the wild and free conference they focused on music she did the best she could to give her children an overview and everything else but they focused on music and they're they're very talented as a result of that and the world does need all kinds of people. It needs, the world needs some lawyers. It needs some policymakers. And so there is a place for putting your kids in speech and debate or for having your kids do a classical school program. But you can overdevelop some parts of your child and underdevelop others if you overemphasize, for instance, head knowledge compared to developing character, developing mm. even, even some expression through art and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that is very true. I, um, now, when, when we look at all this stuff, um, so moms, we've talked about this a little bit, but when a mom hears all this stuff and she has all this stuff coming at her and everybody's telling her what to do and, 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 and because of the internet and Facebook and Instagram, and there's so many ideas out there that and in the end, most of us do feel ashamed or, or as if, you know, we, we, we don't live up. We aren't living up to this ideal. Do you speak to moms about that? I think that, you know, I really love the Lord's Prayer, actually. It's such a good model for us as mothers because it says every day we're supposed to forgive our trespassers as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, we're, and, and in some ways we're trespassing it's against ourselves every day. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
yes, you know, the night before last, I started reading another parenting book and I got all excited about the new habits I was going to instill in my kids. And then <laughs> partway through the day, my son built this big Playmobil mess. It, to me, it looked like a mess and I let him keep playing. And then the Playmobiles didn't get picked up. And so it's like, I had this ideal of starting a new habit of cleaning up the room every day. And after a day I'd failed my own ideal. <laughs> You know, but I think that there's a place for just every day saying, I forgive myself for the way I blew it today. I receive, you know, God forgives us every day. So we need to extend that same forgiveness and grace to ourselves because we, we should approach learning in the same way young children do. We should be excited about it. And, and there should be no feelings of, I can't do this, or I'm not smart enough, or I don't have what it takes to teach my children. Every day we should be like, I get to learn with my kids today. I've got what it takes to do this. This is going to be a great day of learning. But I think some, sometimes we, we accumulate upon ourselves all of our failures. And instead of just forgiving ourselves, letting it be in the past, Jesus says it's, it's as far as the East is from the West. Mm-hmm. You know, we go on carrying all these failures and we try to keep mustering up the enthusiasm to teach our children and get them excited about learning when we really just feel like, we don't have what it takes and we won't succeed. Yeah. I mean, we know, we don't learn anything until we get to that place of, I don't know. And that's where learning begins. So we don't have to feel ashamed when we, we reach the end of ourselves because that that's actually where the growth starts to happen. Right. And it's a natural process of, okay, I don't know something or I failed at something. So I'm going to try again. Yes, yes, and just getting back up and 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 plodding along and 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 trying again and keep keep it going. <laughs> yes. home, keep it going. Yeah. But um yeah, and I I found that in my own life I I carried a lot of shame for for her mistakes. You know, I was I threw myself into this homeschooling life and I had visual visions of what it was going to look like and when when it it failed to look like that in some ways um, and, and partly because of my own, you know, things I missed along the way. Um, I, I did, I carried a lot of shame and until I learned that I I could, uh, God forgave me and I could forgive myself. I really didn't know what joy was, but I, after that, I started to develop, uh, something, something I'd prayed for for years and could not find. And that was joy. I, I didn't have joy because I was carrying around all these burdens of everything was on me somehow. And really that was a bit arrogant actually. And, um, and that's why I didn't have joy. (laughs) Right. I love what you say about recognizing that there was another potter at work in your child. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that, you know, that knowledge and that acknowledgement that we are not ultimately in charge, that God's, God's the real one in charge can help us just approach each day with a more childlike spirit, uh, you know, that we, okay, children often will do dumb things and make mistakes. And unless we beat them up about it, they're not necessarily beating themselves up you know, they are experimenting, they're exploring, and they're learning about the world, their exploration. So there's an element of, of us as moms needing to adopt that same childlike spirit where, where we know that God's in charge, and we know that he's forgiven us. And so we can try things. And, and maybe we will blow it, maybe it won't turn out, maybe that science experiment is going to be lame. But it doesn't (laughs) mean that we are failures. It doesn't, it doesn't speak to our identity as mothers. If we do make a mistake, it's Mm -hmm. just a mistake. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and I think that being able to do that is a big, big message that we send to our children too about how they should handle failure and mistakes because they're going to make them too. And, and if they don't have to, if they can avoid that trap um, by watching us avoid it, then, then that would be a great, that would be great for everyone. Now, as we close up here, I have to laugh. Um, you have, how many adult children do you have right now? I just, my fourth child just turned 18. So I have four. Okay. <laughs> so, so that, that's, there, there's a new challenges in parenting when you, there, there, it's different to parent adult children than it is to parent younger children. Have oh, you found it? Yes. <laughs> it's so different. And, and it's interesting because as a family, we, you know, when our kids were younger, we emphasized them, you know, honoring their parents. And, but then there's a, there's kind of a, switch that has to take place where you start to let adults be adults and have some opinions in there. And, and that, that starts early where you start to ask questions and you start to show respect for your children's thoughts and ideas. And, and I'm saying early, you know, early, I start to listen to yeah. my children and try to understand them and try to know where they're coming from and not just be a, a tyrant. But it's interesting trying to be parents to young children because young children still need to be told to go to bed at night, you know, mm -hmm. it's not good for them to stay up late. So to parent young children, and yet in your own home, be able to develop the atmosphere that you feel that God's called you to develop. So I read a book last year called In This House of Breed. It's B -R -E -D oh, yes. by Rumor Godin. Yes. yes, it's beautiful. It's about a woman who lives in a monastery or abbey. And it kind of gave me some inspiration in my own home. You know, I have these adults who live at home and that's, you know, a part of our deal is we want them to go to college. So we let them live at home while they're going to school. And so I have all these adults living here and yet I still want to cultivate a certain atmosphere. And, and so I don't feel bad about saying, okay, this is, this is our family rules and I'm open to talking through things and we do a lot of talking with our adults and a lot of loving them and doing our best to understand them and and being reasonable about our expectations but also having some expectation I, I am sure most CRC listeners and Mason Jar listeners don't necessarily have adult children but it is a whole new ball game and and a call to prayer Yes, it is a call to prayer. <laughs> and it is so wonderful because you can switch over you telling them everything you think, like you do when they're little, to you praying for them more than actually telling them. I think that's sort of where I've landed. There are times when the doors are wide open for communication, but there's also times when it's just better to keep quiet and, and let the Holy Spirit work in their lives. Yeah, I love that. I love that, you know, there's this, just like we talked about with our, with the product, knowing that they're on the potter's wheel, even with our adult children, just not worrying about every little thing they do or not having to call them on everything they do. And, you know, so far, my kids make choices that I'm really excited about. They're right. you know, doing things that I'm excited about. But with adults, it, it is kind of a, um, it's, it's all out there. You know what I mean? There's, there's, yes. no, we're not done until the, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't feel like I could necessarily speak on how to parent until I've got grandkids because yes. there's, you know, our children are in process as they grow. And I think that in the early homeschool movement, there's so much emphasis on this certain look and this certain kind of child that you're supposed to develop. And I saw so many families, it just like went off like a bomb 
and and kind of everybody scattered and and I don't know why that happens for some families, but I really, it's like my goals for my children, I want them to love Jesus. I want them to be able to support their families. I want them to love others. I don't have, even though I, I love it that some of my kids have educational ambitions or ambitions for social justice or, or making a difference in the world. I just have simple hopes for my kids. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just, <laughs> and, we, and we don't know what we don't know what we're they're being prepared for, um, but God, God does, and um, He brings things into their lives, and and um, yeah, I found um, uh, yeah, I never like to say to parents of toddlers, oh, it's harder to parent adults <laughs> because it's like a cruel joke. What <laughs> three isn't the worst or two? I always found three to be quite charming. A, a I agree. I agree. I love three year olds, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, and it's not that adult parenting adult children is hard in the way that parenting a two-year-old is hard, but it's challenging. It, it challenges your mind, and, and it and it challenges your, um, you know, it challenges your faith because your faith. Yes. Yeah, they're out there driving around in cars. You yes. know, they're out there jumping out of airplanes or whitewater rafting or traveling through Europe solo or whatever they're doing. Yes. They're out there, and you and you are just like. Um, I mean, it's, it, a lot is out of your control. And so no matter how they're doing, it's, it's just a lot of is out of our control. And, and, and as moms, especially homeschool moms, I think that we often are probably over controlling. And so all of a sudden when it's out of our control, it's like, Ooh, yeah. Well, so you, and you made a good cho- a point there. You said, start that early, start, start backing off and letting them. I feel like if a child feels the freedom to have his own opinions at, at, you know, as they approach those middle school, late, late, um, and then high school years, that takes some of the edge off them having to prove that they can have their own opinion in some un, unhelpful way. <laughs> right, right. And I, I think conversation is important because so many parents, I think, in, in the early homeschool movement, there was almost a repressive, like there's almost one yeah. way of turning out as a person, you know, like if you're oh, a yeah. girl, you just had to get married. And if you're a boy, you had to work in a business where you could be home, you know? And so I think that then for kids who maybe had still a godly ideal, like I, I knew a girl who she just wanted to go to school. You know what I mean? She just wanted to go to college. It wasn't like she wanted to run off and join the circus or something. And her parents basically kicked her out of the house for that. So I think that you know, when our, Mm. when our, when we have unbiblical definitions of what's okay, and we fail to really know our children and, and, and honor them for the, the, you know, honor God really for what he's put in their hearts, because God made us all unique and special. And we don't all have to be exactly the same. And as parents, we have to be careful to not confuse individuality with poor character. Yes. Amen. That is. And I've seen some of my kids where my other kids will say, oh, that child has, he has poor character, but I don't, I I think no. And I I think of one of my sons in particular, who's turned out to have great character, (laughs) even though, you know, he didn't have the same, he didn't look the same as his other siblings. So um, even amongst ourselves, we look different from one another. And, and and I, I, you know, we were very influenced by um, the early obedience, authoritative culture, and that was that is one of our regrets. Thankfully, God has you know preserved our children, and 
Um, and, and that's been good, but it, it was not a good, it wasn't good for any of us. You know, it wasn't good for our children and it wasn't good for us either. So, right. And it's funny, we, you know, we did that for a little while and then I, my daughter had some learning disabilities. So I, I started to go towards this like developmental parenting where anytime they opened their mouth, I made sure they had a snack or that all their <laughs> developmental needs were met. And then I went, and then I read this other book about like, let your children have choices from the early age about everything. And I feel like there's a middle ground that we need to find as parents where, mm-hmm. where we are parents and we do yes. guide our children as God calls us to, but we also are loving parents who, who listen and who, who care and who are thoughtful about what we ask our children to do instead of just being reactionary or instead of just listening to some teacher who said we should do it this way. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so I always say, I just keep falling off the horse one way and the, the, <laughs> I, that one side, then the other, and then one side, then the other. I just yes, keep that would be along. <laughs> yes. Thank God for grace. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm a scholar too. Amen. Well, the, uh, we'll wrap that up here. I'll ask you real quick, Jennifer, what are you reading right now? Oh, I just started reading An American Childhood by Annie Dillard. Oh, I'm, yes. I'm taking a memoir writing class right now. So that was a sign reading. And I'm also reading a book called The Spiritual Child by Lisa Miller. It's a science book Mm. on how important, um, I'm a Christian, but she doesn't necessarily, it's a science book. So she doesn't necessarily differentiate what spiritual path or who, you know, I believe in Jesus, but but basically she just emphasizing the importance to children of having a spiritual life, which I love. So apart from just Christianity, even. Yes, it's not a Christian book necessarily, but, but it is a book but, emphasizing just how, how, how important it is to children to have their, their thoughts and experiences of God acknowledged. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that sounds like a really interesting book. And the Annie Dillard book, I always, I feel like she had a wild and free Charlotte Mason education herself in that book. Um, I thought that's how you'd be talking about creativity. She had all those things in place in her life that, that you mentioned earlier, uh, as far as play and creativity. But well, we will wrap that up here. Uh, it has been a pleasure to have you. I feel like we could have talked for a long time and never and, and just kept going. But me too. <laughs> I've loved chatting with you, Cindy. Um, it's I'm so glad we got to meet and I'm so glad that you came on the Mason Jar. So thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Cindy. It's been a joy to talk to you. Mm-hmm.